Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Friday, January 6th. Coming up, a Kansas City opera star is up for another Grammy Award. Her latest recording focuses on climate change. I see the marriage and the harmony and the teamwork between music and nature, and it has called me really strongly in this project. We'll hear from Joyce D. Donato on her latest album, Eat It. Plus, a trove of Japanese antiques has made its way from Kansas City back to a Christian girls' school in Yokohama, Japan. There are some people that I have told what we're doing with these items, and they can't believe we're giving them away. But I think it's a good thing. But first, some headlines. Today marks two years since violent insurrectionists stormed the U.S. Capitol. The Midwest newsroom's Kayvon Mansouri has more on the Kansas and Missouri residents involved in the riot. 23 individuals from Missouri and 9 from Kansas were charged for their involvement in the Capitol insurrection. Of those individuals, 7 await trial while 13 have been sentenced. The sentences range from several months of probation to 70 days in prison. The most severe sentence so far has been for Kansas resident Ryan Ashlock, a member of the Kansas City Proud Boys. Three individuals pleaded guilty and currently await sentencing. The Food and Drug Administration will allow certified retail pharmacies to dispense the abortion-inducing drug Mifepristone. It will still require a prescription, but doctors say the change does little to expand abortion access in Kansas because patients must still visit a clinic and undergo an ultrasound before getting a prescription. Dr. Iman Al-Sadin is the chief medical officer of Planned Parenthood Great Plains. I don't know that there will be a change, you know, tomorrow of people being able to go and pick up pills from a pharmacy. I don't think that that's likely. Pharmacies will need to apply for certification to dispense the medication. Representatives for CVS and Walgreens, two of the state's largest pharmacies, said they plan to dispense the drug where state laws allow. They did not say if that would include Kansas. Abortion remains legal in Kansas up to 22 weeks, but lawmakers are expected to try to limit access this year. Independents, North Kansas City, and Blue Springs City Councils will vote in the next week on whether to put a local 3% sales tax on the April ballot. KCUR's Sam Zaff reports Kansas City is set to vote on the issue later. Independents, North Kansas City, and Blue Springs City Councils will be voting in the next week on whether to put a local 3% sales tax on the April ballot. Kansas City is set to vote on the issue later. That 3% sales tax would be on top of a 6% state sales tax on recreational marijuana, and all of that would be in addition to existing local and state sales taxes. North Kansas City Council was told by city staff that if voters approve the extra tax, the city could expect a modest fifty dollars to $80,000 a year. Independent City Council was told the city could expect an extra $600,000 a year. The cities will likely put any extra income into their general funds. We'll be back after this. You listen to Kansas City Today every day because we're your local, reliable news source. You take us seriously. But now it's time to have some fun. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. 
NPR's All Things Considered host Ari Shapiro is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive. When the daughter of an American missionary returned from Japan in 1923, she brought along some of her cherished possessions. After 100 years, her collection has returned to the Japanese school where she grew up. KCUR's Julie Denishay reports. A few days before Christmas, Nobuko Aihara and Keiko Suzuki are wearing white gloves. They're gathering stacks of acid-free paper on a work table in the living room of a Kansas City home. Aihara is vice principal of the Ferris Junior and Senior High School for Girls, and Suzuki is the school's archivist. They've come all the way from Yokohama, Japan. Aihara picks up a small red fish made of antique silk. She wants to start from this gold fish. And this one is given to her by the emperor. After 100 years, a cabinet full of silk toys, Japanese dolls, lacquer boxes, and ceramic plates decorated with dragons and phoenix are returning to Japan. They were brought to the United States by Eugenie Booth, the daughter of an American missionary. Marilyn Woods and her brother Steve Johnson are her grandchildren. Our great-grandparents went to Japan in 1879 as missionaries. They moved to Yokohama, and in 1881, he became the principal of a school called Ferris Seminary. It was the first Christian-based educational institution for Japanese girls. Their grandmother, Eugenie Booth, was born in 1885 in Yokohama, a cosmopolitan port city known for its trade in silk. In a box full of his grandmother's letters to his grandfather, Johnson learned about her adventures in Japan, and he dug deeper into his family history. She was an incredible woman, and unfortunately I didn't know how incredible she was until I read all of these letters. And so her letters are just full of stories of her activities, the people, the culture, disasters, everything that went on during that time. Johnson says his grandmother was nine years old when Emperor Meiji visited Yokohama in 1894. It was a big deal. Everybody lined the streets to watch the emperor pass by. But culturally, it was taboo for them to look directly at the emperor. So she was on the street uh, with the students at the school, and she thought to herself, I'm an American girl, I don't have to live by those rules. And she looked up, looked the emperor straight in the face, he looked right back at her and smiled at her. Several weeks later, another royal delegation visited the school and the princess was charmed by his grandmother. Marilyn Woods reads what happened. There came a messenger from the imperial palace bearing a beautifully packaged gift with the imperial seal from the princess for me. These were made from exquisite pieces of silk and crepe. These were in the form of a fish carp, a baby crawling, a priest's hat, a duck, and an octopus. Aihara holds up a silk octopus, one of the gifts from the emperor. Oh, this one? Octopus. But it it can be converted into a small bag if you hold it upside down. Very clever idea. 
In 2019, the school was preparing to hold its 150th anniversary. So Woods and Johnson decided it was time to donate their grandmother's antiques to the school. There are some people that I have told what we're doing with these items and they can't believe we're giving them away. But I think it's a good thing. Wood says, even though she was prepared, she's a little sad to let them go. It's hard. It's really hard to watch, but I know they're going someplace special. After a morning of packing, the final item is wrapped up and tucked into a suitcase, ready for the trip back to Japan. For KCUR 89.3, Good job. I'm Julie Denishay. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> Prairie Village native Joyce D. Donato has won three Grammys so far, and the opera star has been nominated for another for her latest project called Eden. The album is a meditation on the natural world. 91.9 Classical Casey's Brooke Knoll spoke with D. Donato in April for a local performance of Eden with the Harriman Jewel series. Eden, at its core, and forgive me for the forbidden fruit joke, uh, is about <laughs> nature and collectively working to heal our world one small step or one single seed at a time. Have you always felt this connection between music and nature? I've always felt a connection to nature for sure. I mean, we would take summer vacations to Colorado and I can still close my eyes and see the Milky Way under the Rocky Mountain sky and I can still smell the crisp, fresh air. And through the last years as I've sought out more time in nature um, and I live much more closely to nature now, I see the marriage and the harmony and the teamwork between music and nature. And it has called me really strongly in this project. You have this mix of the old, you have Handel, you have Gluck, and, and the new, such as Rachel Portman's The First Morning of the World. How did you whittle down the compositions included on this project, and, and how did you decide on that program? Well, this was a thrilling aspect of Eden, because a lot of the idea behind Eden is about creation. And so when working with Il Pomodoro, my fantastic sort of musical soulmates, they're normally a Baroque band. They play on period instruments, gut strings. Their motto is, I think we've got the guts. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love that too. That's my language. And we just decided, you know, let's not limit ourselves to just Handel or just Baroque music. And it really blasted off with the conductor, Maxime Emelianchev, who said, you guys oh, know this amazing piece, Charles Ives, The Unanswered Question. And I didn't know the piece, but I rejected him immediately. I said, we can't do Ives. <laughs> we don't do Ives. That's, that's modern music. You know, we can't do that. And in fact, he played it for us, and the hair on the back of my neck just stood up at least for two minutes straight when I heard this piece. And sure enough, that's how we start the concert. And the second thing that we really wanted to do, again, going back to that idea of creation, was to have a world premiere 
to write something specifically for this project. And so we went to Rachel Portman, Academy Award-winning composer, and a good friend of mine, Gene Shear, that a lot of the listeners will know that he wrote the text for Moby Dick, um, a lot of the, the works that Jake Heggie has written. And he put together this poem called The First Morning of the World. And I read it, and tears flowed down my face, and they still do when I sing it. And they've created something that is timeless and beautiful and haunting and human. It is in the rings of trees, in the wind and the river. It is in the sound of birds. Lastly, you've said what you hope audiences feel after seeing this work, but what do you hope they do after seeing Eden? And change the world? <laughs> Could we change the world while we're at it? That was opera singer Joyce DiDonato and Brooke Knoll of KCUR sister station Classical KC. Grammy winners will be announced next month. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin, Byron Love, and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Julie's story on Japanese antiques and Brooke's story on Joyce DiDonato, visit kcur.org, where you can find more arts coverage from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.